All right, well, good morning. Glad that for those in the room, I also want to say welcome and good morning to those that are outside the room. We're glad you're all with us. And let's turn together to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Mark. And so however you turn into God's Word, I'm going to encourage you to do that, whether you're in the room or outside of the room. Again, glad that you're with us too, and looking forward to walking through this text with you. This may surprise some of you, but I have said some pretty unintelligent things. Now, some of you laugh at that, but I have said some unintelligent things, and, and I was reminded of that this week. My family went out to eat with a, another family, and so we go to this local restaurant, and there's a pretty large group of us, so we all can't sit together. The restaurant's a little bit crowded, so they send the six kiddos to sit a few tables down from us, and I, I think they really had a good time because I, I looked down, and I saw our server with six large Dr. Peppers and taking them to their table and sitting them there, and did I mention it's a school night at 8 p.m., and I think one of the kids said, I'm going to have six refills. And I'm just glad that kid wasn't coming home with me. But all the kids were sitting down a few tables from where we were sitting with this other couple. And we were talking and we started talking about how the spouses met. And I shared our story. And so here's the unintelligent, here's, here's what I said. Before my wife and I started dating, and I was telling the couple this, I told our mentor I said, I would never date her. And if you knew my wife then or you know my wife today, that is the dumbest thing that I will ever say. My wife is beautiful on the inside and out. She can cook. She can bake. She works inside the home, outside the home. She's a small girl. I mean, I could go on and on. And I can't prove this, but I think when I was being considered to be one of your pastors, I think there was like a 50-50, you know, everybody's kind of not sure. So it was like 50-50, and then they met my wife, and all of a sudden I got hired. So she, she is absolutely the best thing that has ever happened to me. But there was a time, and she would agree, that we didn't see each other as boyfriend and girlfriend. We didn't have affection for each other until a particular day in November. And we both remember this. And soon after that, we started dating. I fell in love immediately. Dating, got engaged, and been married now for a number of years. <laughs> I think 19. I think 19. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. Did I say that? But in all seriousness, there was this time where, where we, we saw a different side of each other. It was in November, and we fell in love. And this morning, many of us in this room, we're going to see a side of Jesus that we have never seen before. And I want to show it with you, share it with you. So let's go. Mark chapter 11. I want us to begin in verse 15, and I've put this on the screens for us, so whether you're inside the room or outside the room, we're going to read this passage, and, and I've inserted, maybe your text says he, and where it says he, I've inserted the name Jesus, because if this is the name above every name, I would love for you to participate with me, and when we come to his name, I want you to say that with me. Can we do that together in here, in the room? Can we do that this morning? Yes, thank you. The two, three of us will say Jesus. <laughs> Those on, online watching, I know you're with me as well. So here we go. 
Then they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple area and began to drive out those who were selling and buying on the temple grounds. And Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And Jesus would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple grounds. And Jesus began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priest and the scribes heard this, and they began seeking how to put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of Jesus, because all the crowd was astonished at Jesus' teaching. So as we've looked through different stories of Jesus, we see him at parties, like the wedding at Cana. We see him at the dinner party with Matthew and his tax collectors. We see Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons and teaching the crowds. We see his compassion and his patience. But here, in this story, we see a different side of Jesus, a side of Jesus not seen anywhere else in the Gospels. And the story begins with Jesus and his disciples. They enter Jerusalem. And they're entering Jerusalem, verse 15 tells us, and and there is a buzz in the air. There is an excitement in the air, like a Christmas kind of excitement. And for two reasons. One was because of what was about to happen, and, and another was because of what happened the day before. You see, in just a few days, they were going to celebrate the Passover feast. And so there are Jews and God-fears from all over the known world at this time descending on Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, this, this festive, this party where they remember how God rescued them out of Egypt, how he rescued from them from the land of slavery, and how he set them free. One historical document tells us this, that in one year, It took over 250,000 lambs for the people to celebrate the Passover. That's one lamb per family. And so there is an excitement in the air. But there's also excitement in the air because of what happened the day before. Jesus comes riding into town on a colt. And people start taking off their jackets and cloaks and they start putting them down at his feet. He kind of got welcomed like I get welcomed when I come home, right? You know, just kidding. That doesn't happen. But they start laying down coats and cloaks and palm branches and they start shouting shouts of praise as Jesus rides in to town. And so the air, if you can imagine, is thick with excitement on this day. And I want you to see something a few verses earlier in verse 11. In verse 11, we read this. It says, And Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he came into the temple area. Now, maybe some of you aren't familiar with the Bible and its story, but the temple was this place. It was the center for Jewish religion. It was the place. And King Herod built this temple, and it stood very tall, and it was made out of certain stone and marble that when the sun hit it, it would glisten, and you could see it from a very far distance. This is the temple. This is where God would dwell with his people. 
It's where he would meet with his people, and it, it reminded me of, of being in elementary school. We have some elementary kids in here, but maybe you can remember being elementary. You may have to go way back to remember that, but maybe you can go, and, and you can remember the principal's office was like this mixture of excitement and, and fear. Like, that you, you maybe get to go eat lunch with the principal in his office, but then you might get in trouble and have to go to his office or her office. And so the principal's office was this place of kind of like an awe and a fear at the same time, and you'd have to walk by the, the desk of the secretaries and the vice principal, and you kind of make your way, and, and there's the principal's office. Fear and awe. And this maybe is kind of like the temple. It was this place where a fear and an awe of God resided. And so there, there in this temple area, and, and the Old Testament tells us the purpose of the temple. If you look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 5, it begins there. It says, but you, you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all the tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And it goes on and it reads, and you shall come there. And you shall bring there your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your vowed offerings, your voluntary offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And so the temple, this was this place where God's presence and the praise of his people collide. It was a place of worship. And it says in verse 11, it says, after after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the 12 since it was already late. So picture it. Jesus is in the temple area. He's looking around at everything, and then he jets. He jets. He leaves. Now, this looking around, it's, it's this idea of taking it all in. And there's a difference here. There's the kind of taking it all in where you're standing on this beautiful beach and you're looking out over the Mediterranean Sea and you're watching the sun set. But there's also a taking, taking it all in when you're standing on the rooftop of a home in India and you're looking out over the crowd and, and you're seeing both poverty and poverty, spiritual poverty and financial poverty at the same time. You see, there's a difference and Jesus is in the temple area, and he is looking around. He is taking it all in. He's taking it, it all in. And we need to understand that the temple, it was designed with a particular purpose. The temple was central, but then as you moved away from the temple, there were different courts. Closest to the temple was the court of the priest. And then there was the court of, the, of Israel, and there was the court of women, and then there was the court for most of us, the non-Jew, the God-fearer, the Gentile. And Jesus is there, and the scripture says that he's taking all of this in. But go with me and look at verse 15 and 16. It tells us that the next day he, he enters the temple grounds, but instead of taking it all in, Jesus takes action. And this is like pay-per-view activity here that you're seeing. Jesus comes into the temple area. He, he starts driving people away. 
And he starts overturning tables and chairs, and he keeps people from going through the temple courts. Now, many would pay for that. I know I would. But Jesus takes action. Imagine that. Here's Jesus. That Jesus loves the little children. And he is overturning tables and chairs and driving people away and preventing people from going back and forth through the temple courts. Now, what in the world is happening? He's been in the temple before, but why is this different? Well, did you know this? That temples were the first banks. Temples were the first banks. Now, if you think about it, it makes sense. Because if temples belonged to the gods, then there was a sense of security in the temple. And so therefore, individuals, corporations, businesses, they would take their money and put it in the temple. And apparently this is what was happening in the temple in Jerusalem. Because there is selling and there's buying tells us in verses 15 and 16, there's money changers. There's people selling doves for sacrifices. There's people walking back and forth through merchandise, people selling merchandise, people buying merchandise. And so when you look at the language of this story, it appears that the temple in Jerusalem was becoming like a bank. And if you go and you read historical documents, you'll read that at times there were millions and millions of dollars in the temple. And this is thousands of years ago. And this is a quote. There were untold sums of money in the temple in Jerusalem at one time. So the temple was not just this place of religion. It was the economic center for Jerusalem, for Jewish life. And two groups took advantage of this. First was the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was this group of religious leaders. And they would use this money in the temple to meet their own needs and their own projects. But even above the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, was the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire would would tag somebody to be the leader of that particular city. And in this case, his name was Pilate. And Pilate was king. He controlled the economic development of the city. He controlled the money in the temple. He controlled the military. Pilate, my friends, was king. And one of the things that happened in all of this was that the non-Jew The God-fearer, his worship, her worship was hindered. Imagine you're a God-fearer from Rome and you come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and you go to the temple to worship and you get there and there's all these fees you have to pay and there's all this economic development happening and trade happening and merchandise and all of a sudden you start beginning to wonder, is this really the God that you want to follow? And Jesus is taking it all in. And he goes all MMA. I like what this author says about what's happening in this moment. He he writes this. We need nothing more for it to be clear that Jesus, by his act, suspended the whole economic function of the temple without the authority of the Sanhedrin 
or the Roman predicator. Such sovereign interference in the economic affairs of the temple must have been taken as a direct claim to be king. So halting this entire moment, Jesus is saying, the king is here. And it's not Rome. And it's not the Sanhedrin. He's saying, I'm king. And you'll see here that what happens in the temple doesn't stay in the temple. Look with me at verse 17. And he began to teach them and say, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you. So he turns to the Jewish leaders of the day and says, but you have made it a den of robbers. See, there is a clash of kingdoms here. It's a clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men. And the king of the kingdom of God is Jesus. And the king of the kingdom of man is man. And so Jesus sees this and he turns to the religious leaders and he, and he goes way back to quote Jeremiah and Isaiah. And he says, you have taken the temple and instead of it being a place of prayer, you've turned it into a den of robbers. Instead of it being a refuge for people to come and pray, they come here and get preyed upon by you. And so these people are coming to worship and pray and they're getting abused by the religious leaders of the day. In verse 18, it says, and the chief priests and the scribes heard this. They heard this. So they saw what Jesus did. They, they saw Jesus overturning the tables and chairs. They saw all that, but it's what Jesus said that led them to do what they're about to do. Because what Jesus said was impacting their pocketbook. He, they, it's, we heard this, and they began seeking how to put him to death, for they were afraid of him because all the crowd was astonished at Jesus' teaching. You see, after the Gospels of Mark, there are people who are astonished, who are amazed at the teaching and authority of Jesus. But there is a group, and they're afraid of him. They're afraid of him. And after hearing what he was teaching, they make plans. They initiate a plan to have him killed. Now, I want us to understand this truth. That although they were making plans to put Jesus' death, that plan had already been planned. And Jesus tells us that in the Gospel of John. John chapter 10, verse 17 reads, For this reason, this is Jesus, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my Father. So while they were making plans, Jesus had already decided, I'm going to give my life up. 
He was already working behind the scenes. But as I was reading this story, in my spirit, I was reminded of this. There's another temple. There's there's another temple. And I want to share this with you. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? There's another temple. Yesterday, I kind of peeked in my daughter's room. And isn't it awesome to watch your kids or your grandkids play when they don't know you're watching? So much fun. But yesterday I went into my, stood at my daughter's door and I saw her playing with her dollhouse. And so she's got her dolls and she's putting them in the different rooms and she has all these accessories and she's putting them in there. And it dawned on me, you know, just as she's putting these dolls and these accessories in her dollhouse, God has put his spirit in our house. See, in the same way that the temple in Jerusalem was a house for the living God, your body and my body is a house for the spirit of the living God. And what a sweet truth that regardless as a follower of Christ, regardless of what decision you made this week or decision you didn't make this week, regardless of what you said or didn't say or should have said, regardless of however you came in the room this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, on the authority of God's word, I'm here to tell you that your body is a house for the spirit of the living God. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and me. And that dawned on me, regardless of my mistakes and my mishaps and my downs and my outs, he lives inside of me. My body is a house for the Holy Spirit but it came at a great price. In verse 20, it says, for you have been bought for a price. Been bought for a price. Jesus died and he was risen from the dead and he sent his spirit, but it cost him his life. The spirit resides in us. And he says, therefore, There's a sense of urgency. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Since your body is a house of the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit, then as a result, since Christ bought that for you, therefore, with your body, honor God. You know, when Jesus entered the temple and he took it all in, when he took what was happening, the trading and the selling, I think what angered him most was that this was a house for God and it had become 
something else. And Jesus is so passionate for the glory of his father that he starts overturning tables and chairs and driving people away. Because his greatest passion was for the glory of his father. And just like the temple was a house for God, this verse tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, it tells us that our bodies are a house for God, for the glory of God. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. Is your house, is your body glorifying God? Is your house that the spirit of the living God dwells in, is it glorifying God? And here's how I want to close our time together. I want to ask us a few questions. And I want to ask you to be honest with yourself. You know, we've titled this series, um, Jesus Unfiltered, because we wanted to get after the question, who is the real Jesus? And so now I want to ask the question, who is the real Eric? Not the Facebook Eric, not the Instagram Eric, not the Sunday morning Eric, but who is the real Eric? Eric Unfiltered, who is he? And I want you to ask the same question about yourself. Who is the you unfiltered? And so if your body is a house of the Holy Spirit, here's the first question I want to ask you. Is there something in your house that needs to be removed? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's pride. That's probably the one in my house that needs to be removed. Maybe, maybe it's an addiction Maybe it's an addiction to pornography. Maybe that needs to be removed. What needs to be removed in your house that's filled with the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of the living God. That's the first question. What needs to be removed? Second question I have for us is what needs to be redeemed? What needs to be redeemed? Maybe you enjoy cooking. Maybe you enjoy a hobby like golf. But maybe you're doing that just for you. And so that hobby, that interest needs to be redeemed for the glory of God. And so what would it look like for you to redeem cooking and make it about the glory of God? What would it look like for you to redeem golf and, and play it for the glory of God? What would it be like for you to, to redeem school and do it for the glory of God? What is it in your life that needs to be redeemed for the glory of God? Maybe the last question is this, is what in your life needs to be recovered? What needs to be recovered? Maybe it's a, a spiritual discipline, a spiritual habit, and just being honest with you, one of the one of the things that, that I need to work on, one of the things that I need to recover is scripture memory. So beginning this year, my wife and I, we're trying to be better at memorizing God's word and tucking it and hiding it deep in our hearts. And so what spiritual discipline, spiritual activity needs to be recovered in your life, in your house? And so I wanna invite you 
just as Jesus entered the temple and took it all in. Invite him this morning, this very moment, to take a look at your house and to take it all in and let him help you remove what needs to be removed, redeem what needs to be redeemed, and recover what needs to be recovered. Let him this morning help you do that. So whether you're online or whether you're in the room, let's spend these next few moments being the unfiltered you and being honest and asking and giving Jesus permission to come in and to take it all in and to help us remove and redeem and recover. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to sing in just a moment. And maybe just as a way to help you and maybe just a posture of humility, I'm going to do this. I'm going to open up this floor here. And if you just want to come by yourself or you want to come with your spouse and you just want to come and, and just ask the Holy Spirit to help you to remove something, to redeem something, to recover something. We want to give you space this morning to do that. So whether you're in this room or maybe online, you turn your couch into a sanctuary, we're going to open up this just for a few moments so that you can have a moment to spend with God. So as I pray, I want to open this floor to you. Let's be the unfiltered us this morning. Let me pray. Our great God and loving Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you how he came and lived and died so that we could live again. And so, Father, we pray for the one among us who is without Christ and without hope in this world. And we pray, we plead, and we beg you, Holy Spirit, if you would do only the work that you can do and, and you can bring this person and you can bring them to the Father this morning, we pray for that individual this morning. And now, Father, for the rest of us, for those who are already a part of your family, we thank you that you've sent your Spirit to dwell in us, the Spirit of the living God. And so, Father, this morning, we want to turn this place into a, a sanctuary, a, a refuge this morning where people can find hope and be restored and redeem and recover and remove the things in our bodies, in our house, that we may glorify our Father this morning. And so, friends, this morning, this floor is open to you to pray, to talk with God. Father, we ask you to move. In the name of our King Jesus, amen.